Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 56, and hear the word of the Lord. And as they led him away, this is Jesus, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath day. They rested according to the commandment. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful 
for so many things, but we are grateful for the testimony of your scripture, your testimony of your word, and we thank you for what it testifies to, the redemptive cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in this moment, I pray that a holy soberness would rest upon us as we deal with things, truths, realities into which angels long to look. So give us eyes and give us ears, soften our hearts. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? God of glory, speak. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last two weeks, we've had the, not me, uh, but our two boys had, thankfully, uh, the, the stomach bug roll through our house. It was just the, the two, two boys, just Henry and James Allen. But they were a week apart. And if you come on Wednesday nights, you know this. One Wednesday, I was out of the office at home watching James Allen. And then you think you're in the clear. We think you've gotten far enough away from it. And then, lo and behold, Tuesday night, well, you, you know, I don't need to describe the stomach bug to you. Uh, but it's even worse when the children, right, they don't quite understand what's happening. And so because they don't understand what's happening, they have no control about where it happens. Uh, so uh, that makes it extra worse, extra bad, if you can. So, uh, but I was home with the kids, and there was one morning uh, where, I, it might have been Thursday morning, it doesn't matter. But I was trying to make them breakfast, particularly for the ones who wanted to eat, uh, which did, at that point didn't include Henry. And so Evelyn May is, is following me, and she's just woken up, so she's barefoot in our house, which is normally a safe thing. Uh, but today I opened up, uh, she's like, if you can picture, the cabinet is before me. She's standing in the middle of the kitchen behind me, and I'm dialoguing with her about which cereal or a combination of cereals. We're a big cereal combo people, so we put multiple cereals in the same bowl. Uh, and that might be an ab- abomination to you, but it's delightful to me. Because uh, it makes me feel better. So it's like I get a little bit of like, here's some, uh, I don't know, grape nuts. I don't know. We don't have grape nuts. Something healthy. And then I put some, some, some lucky charms on top. And then I feel better about my lucky charms. So, uh, but we do this. It, it's for the kids. They just like, anyways. Uh, and so I'm talking to her and I open up the cabinet. And this, this jelly jar that Sarah Beth's mom had, she makes homemade strawberry jelly. That's when it's strawberry time in the year, whenever, I think. Anyway, uh, and it, it falls, and it's like slow motion. Normally, I'm pretty good with my reflexes, but it was morning, and I was talking about cereal, and I just completely didn't even try to catch this thing. And it falls from, like, the top shelf and just lands on our granite countertops, and it is like an A-bomb of glass. It just, every, we're still finding glass shards. We, we can't use, we're, we're terrified to use our, our Tupperware because so much of it jumped into the Tupperware drawer. Uh, but there's still the sh- glass shards everywhere. And poor Evelyn May is literally uh, an, an, on the island, right? And there's this glass all around her. And so I'm like, you know, thankfully I'm in my slippers. And so I pick her up and I, re- I rescue my daughter from the sea of 
shards of glass, a heroic moment for me. And, uh, but it got me thinking this, this morning and about our text, uh, about the, what caused the, the jar to fall. You could say it was the jarring of the cabinet or whatever, uh, but it's gravity, right? There are, the, the, there's, a, there's a law, if you're, if you're unaware, uh, you can prove it to yourself. You can even do it right now if you want to. You can stand up and jump up and you'll come down. I would love to see all of your verticals. Um, that that what, what goes up must come down. Some things go up higher and they come down faster when they go up higher. Uh, but what goes up must come down. And so the jar that was up had to come down when it was in free fall. And this is a, a law of nature. Now, we don't necessarily, law, we don't think of law of nature as something that is disconnected from God's providential reign over, over uh, the world, but that God has instituted things that, you know, what goes up must come down. This is how God has set up the world. Uh, and so that there is a law of gravity that cannot be broken, that even the things that that, that seem to defy gravity, airplanes and rocket ships and whatever, birds, all of those things come down at some point. All of those things are captured, recaptured by gravity, that there is a natural law to gravity, that what goes up must come down. Uh, in the same way, the law of God, not that, just, that doesn't just govern the universe, but it governs all things. It doesn't just govern physical objects like the glass jar that seem to suspend midair as my dull hands couldn't react quick enough to catch it. But the law of God, the righteousness of God, has set an order to the world, and particularly the law of God is applicable to you and to me. And in fact, in our passage, this is, it might not, you might not think it, but this is where we begin. If sin is the breaking of God's law, that what, everything that has happened thus far to Jesus is altogether sinful. There's a disdain for life. There's a disdain for God. There is idolatry where they, they pursue the things that are not God in God's place and they refuse to submit to God's Messiah, the sent one, Jesus. What goes up must come down. When God's law is broken, there must be a righteous reaction. When God's law is broken, there must, if God is going to remain God, which He is always unchanging, there must be righteous judgment. The way that God deals with sin, sin, remember, is the breaking of God's law. And if you're curious, if that includes you or not, you ought not be curious because it does. It does, based upon the testimony of Scripture, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Based upon the testimony of your conscience this morning, you know and you would probably offer up that I'm not perfect. But if you need convincing... Go read the Ten Commandments and then read what Jesus, how Jesus interprets some of the Ten Commandments in Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. How He takes those truths and He applies them to the heart and you quickly begin to see that there's none righteous. Because if we have sinned, we've violated the law of God, then we are not righteous. You understand there's no middle ground. There is perfection and righteousness, 
And there is fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness. There's no sort of like, well, I'm not that, I'm not as bad as that guy. We're all in the same heap. From Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, down to Jeffrey Dahmer, we're all in the same heap. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that there's no differentiation in terms of the heinousness of sin, of the, of the social impact of sin. I'm not saying any of that. But all people everywhere in all places have in some way violated the law of God and are therefore under the just condemnation of the law of God. And when Jesus interacts after the, the moment with Simon and Cyrene, which I, w- I, would, I could preach a sermon just on that guy. Um, I think Simon of Cyrene, you have a visible image of what Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. As, as down the Via Della Rosa, that road in Jerusalem, Simon takes up the cross of Jesus and follows his bloody p- footprints up the Golgotha. He does so under coercion, but Christians do so willingly. But that's not my sermon. When Jesus sees these women in verse 28, 27 and 28, and they're weeping for him, they're weeping for him. They're, there's, some of them might have been the women who are with him, and some of them not, might simply have been the women of Jerusalem, but they are, they're weeping and they're carrying on. Now, in first century Israel, they were, there was such a thing as professional mourners. They pop up throughout the Gospels. You can see them in the story of Lazarus. Uh, for example, where they're, they're, they're weeping and wailing in Mary and Martha's house after Lazarus has died. And they're weeping and wailing. And then they come and laugh at Jesus when he says he's just asleep. But they're there and, and Jesus turns to them and he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Now, why? For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the, and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us. That's a direct, the the second half of that is a direct quotation from Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. Fall on us and cover us. Jesus is saying, don't weep for me as I go to the cross, as my condemnation, I mean, as the, as the judgment that is falling upon me is right in front of you. Don't weep for me. Weep for your judgment that is coming. Now, specifically in context, this is 70 AD when Jerusalem falls. We've talked about that a few chapters ago. Chapter 21. When the Romans besiege Jerusalem and it's, a, it's horrible conditions within the city. And finally, after years of conflict in 70 AD, the Romans come and they tear down the city. They burn the temple. They tear down the walls. And Jerusalem has never been the same. And likely will never be the same. Judgment is coming. And why is judgment coming? Why ought these people to weep? Because they are beholding, before their eyes, they are beholding the greatest miscarriage of justice that this world has ever known. You have the the single, one and only, innocent born man who is bearing the cross of condemnation, who is being judged as a criminal, who will be executed as a criminal, who is mocked and derided as a criminal, publicly humiliated upon a cross, here is the greatest miscarriage of justice. And because of it, and because they refuse to repent, 
Because they refuse to repent. They refuse to accept this Jesus, the one who has come to save them. If you do not accept the one who has come to save you, there is no other recourse for your sin. If we're all condemned under the law of God, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have transgressed. All of us have broken it. None of us have hope in and of ourselves. No matter where you're born, what color your skin is, what your culture is, what time and place or country or ethnicity, it doesn't matter. We're all condemned. And that's why Jesus is the Savior of the world. But if you will not have Jesus, where will you go? And these who are ushering Jesus in, at this point at least, they will have nothing to do with them through their tears, many of them. Through their tears, they will have nothing to do with them. I think a point of application for us, that while the condemnation of Jerusalem arose in 70 AD because of their rejection of God's Messiah, any culture... Any society, any people where justice is so easily subverted, where justice is so easily miscarried, and the innocent are killed and consumed, that society and that culture stands under just condemnation. Any culture, any society... Any people that willingly and willfully watches and perpetrates the miscarrying of justice over and over again can expect the condemnation of God. The cross is a justice issue. Just this week, a few days ago, I was preparing for this message, trying to at home, you know, juggling kids, and so I'd get a blip during nap time, and then in the late at night or early in the morning, uh, and I, I came across a story, and some of you have probably seen it. It's been reported in various news outlets. It was reported by the New York Times. I don't know if our local paper did anything with it. Um, but there was, uh, just to keep a long story short, uh, a, um, a pro-life anti-abortion group recovered a box of aborted babies in Washington, D.C. Now, how they got the box, there's kind of people are calling each other a liar about it. But regardless... There were baby bodies in a box, 115 of them in a box. And this is just one box that was on the back of this truck. Of the 115, now don't quote me on the exact numbers here, but of the 115, about 110 of them were first and second trimester children. But there were five. There were five that in all likelihood would have lived and they would have lived at that moment meaning that they were late third trimester 34 weeks and older 
children. Dear ones, if the cross is a justice issue, those children are the closest thing to innocence we have in this world. And that is a profound miscarrying of justice. It is a deep wickedness that rests upon this country and upon this world. And if you were to go read that passage in Hosea, Hosea 10, and particularly down in 12, verses 12 and 13, you would see that there is a linkage, there is a connection between idolatry and injustice. When we begin to worship wrongly, we begin to break the law of God towards God, but then we begin to break the law of God toward our neighbor. From our unborn neighbor to all the other ways that we as a culture often wound and harm one another. And if you believe that the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty will take however tens of millions of deaths of children in the womb and simply sweep that under the rug of heaven without any sort of condemnation upon the country that has perpetrated it, then I would invite you to open your Bible. And you might think, well, the law of God was for the people of Israel. And you're probably right now thinking, this isn't a Palm Sunday message. It is, because it's Palm Sunday. And this is where we are in the Bible today. And we'll get there. Be patient. But you might think that the law of God in the Old Testament was for the Old Testament people of God. Well, yes and no. But again, I would invite you, and I'm not, we don't have time to do all of this, but survey the, the, the beginning chapters of the book of Amos. Or survey the chapters in the middle of Ezekiel or in Isaiah, where God calls the nations to account for their, their injustices. And Amos, where he calls the king of Tyre to condemnation, he calls him to repentance. Or to the king of Samaria, who burned another king's bones and poured lime on it. The injustice that was perpetrated, God held the nations to account, and He will hold the nations to account today. And finally and fully in the day of judgment. Dear ones, the cross is a justice matter. Because the justice of God requires the condemnation of sin. For God to deal with sin and remain God. If you're going to get anything that I'm about to say in your head, remember this. For God to remain righteous, just, true, holy, pure, high above and lifted up, then He cannot deal with sin lightly. He can't. And yet, that's exactly what we ask Him to do. Look over our iniquities. Pass over our sins. And we should, right now, you should feel, or at least think, well, if that's true, what hope do I have? 
If to stand before the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, that you, your life will be held accountable. Jesus even says for every stray word that you say, who is up to such a standard? For the very thoughts of your hearts, for your affections and your loves, for the things that you have openly said and openly done, for the things that you've concealed from others. You have not concealed it from God. Where you've harbored bitterness and resentment, anger and hatred towards individuals or sometimes towards whole peoples. All of those things are laid bare before the God of all. And so may Jesus' words... Penetrate our hearts today. Do not weep for me, he says. Weep for yourselves. Verse 32. Jesus is with these criminals. And they are led away to the place called the skull or Golgotha. And very matter-of-factly, Luke, like all of the gospel writers, they don't spend a lot of time Spelling out crucifixion for you. I don't know how many times I've been to various dramatic representations of the Easter story where you have this dramatic representation of crucifixion. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that's not what the Bible does here. It was very straightforward. Everybody knew what happened with crucifixion. It was the most ghastly, probably to date, one of the most ghastly, horrible ways that people killed each other. If you're curious, you can Google it. Be forewarned. But Jesus was pinned to a tree with a crossbar and an upright one. His feet were nailed. His hands were nailed. And He stood in the middle between two condemned men. Here the Son of God, the King of glory, has walked the road that His Father had before Him. And he's treated as a criminal. And see the heart of Jesus. And as you see the heart of Jesus, find hope under the weight of your own sin. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could you imagine? I, 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 to this day, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But that's the, this is Jesus as they are nailing His hands to trees. And the thump, thump, thumping of the hammer. And He says, Father, forgive them. Dear one, here is your hope. I hope you begin to see. I cast a long shadow at the outset of this. But the dawn is coming. The dawn for the darkness of your sin. You stand condemned before a holy God. And then we have the light of the world saying, Father, forgive. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. And there's this rhythm from the rulers and from the people and then from the criminals. If you're really the Christ, save yourself. Save yourself. Surely 
The Son of God, surely the Messiah wouldn't go through this. If you were able, get off the cross. And yet, if Jesus were to jump down and say, Ha! I got it! What that would be doing is if he did what all of these mockers and revilers wanted, or if he were to jump off the cross, legions of angels show up, then he would condemn the human race. For then there would be no sacrifice for sins, there would be no mediator between God and man, and we would stand condemned for eternity. And yet what does our Jesus do? He doesn't just endure the mockery and the nails. He endures this brutality and then the heaping on of a sin that is not his. He bears a condemnation that does not belong to him. He suffers because of other people's sins. He suffers at the hands of other people in their sin, but he bears your sin. He who knew no sin became sin. He took on all of your open words of arrogance and disgust. He took on your rebelliousness against God and rightful authorities. He took on your secret sins that no one else knows about. He takes your condemnation because he has none of his own. This is why only Jesus could die for our sins. Because he alone is God and man. He alone is altogether innocent. So he's pinned between these two criminals. And it's such a fascinating thing that Luke does here. There is a criminal on his left. And there's a criminal on his right. And one of the criminals begins to revile him. He rails at him saying, save yourself and us. How often are we like this criminal saying, give me cheap grace. Save yourself and save me. Even though I deserve to be in the position I'm in. Even though I deserve to be under the condemnation of God. Rescue me and let me go back to my sin. Too often this is how we treat the grace of God. And yet there's the other. Who Luke alone records. And indeed, he says, uh, but you do not fear God since we are under the same condemnation Sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly. He's saying we belong to be up here. But he does not. He doesn't belong this here. We belong here. And then this man again. They're all there hanging. Between heaven and earth. Pinned on wood. And he says Jesus would you remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says truly I say to you today. You will be with me. In paradise. Jerome, who was one of the very first Bible translators, translated the Bible into Latin. He said, the cross of Christ is the key to paradise. The cross of Christ opened it. But if we've already established that we belong where those criminals were. We belong to be openly derided and openly railed and openly mocked. And crucified for our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then 6.23, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is? This is what we've earned. 
And so right now you have two choices, just like these two criminals. There is wrath and there's grace. But in order for God to remain God, He's either going to pour out His just wrath upon your sin for eternity, or He's going to pour out His wrath for you upon His Son and extend to you grace. Do you understand? This is Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes and He's seated on His glorious throne, then He's going to take up the people before Him and He's going to separate. Here are the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. At the cross of Golgotha, there's wrath on one hand and there's grace on the other. There is the one who remains hardened in His sin. He wants to be free. He wants to be saved. He wants to be rescued. But He doesn't want death. Certainly not. And he certainly doesn't want repentance. And he doesn't want what Jesus offers. He just doesn't want to die. And some of you might be in that camp today. Well, Jacob, I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to stand condemned under the law of God. So one way that you're going to deal with that is that you're going to call me a liar. You're going to call the Bible a liar. You're going to call God a liar. And you're going to go about your way. And to say, I am my own God. I'm my own authority. I can do what I please, choose what I please, and there is no consequence for it. This is the modus operandi of our culture. And if you walk out those doors, hardened to God, you're only going to find a culture that just pats you on the back all the way to hell. As you stand under the wrath of God. Storing up wrath, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2. Or, and I would plead with you to take the or. You say, I deserve the condemnation of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. I take what God says and I believe that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And my only hope is Jesus Christ, His blood and His righteousness. He has died for me. Lord, would you welcome me into paradise only through the cross? Do you reach it? Only by trusting in what Jesus has done can you be brought into sweet fellowship with God today and for eternity. Dear one, there's no other way. No other way. Please turn away from your sin. Turn away from wrath and cry out to the Lord Jesus. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Every one. And so if you walk out of here, not right with God, under the the condemnation of God, do not say in that day that I didn't tell you. My blood is not on my hands. Your blood is not on my hands. Turn to Christ and live. Turn to Christ and live. Jesus and his cross is the fork in the road. Either you choose by God's grace to follow him. Or you will be hardened in sin until you are broken irreparably. It's wrath or grace. It was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until about the ninth hour. That would be three in the afternoon for us. Verse 44 and 45. Well, the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Here's how the cross of Christ has unlocked paradise. Since the Garden of Eden, that has been closed off. The presence of God. You remember Garden of Eden? It's true, by the way. Adam and Eve, 
They sinned against God. They were in the the Garden of Eden. They were in the presence of God. They were in sweet fellowship with Him. And because of their sin, they were expelled. And God put up two cherubim, these warrior angels with with flaming swords, who said, you cannot come this way. And then from on throughout the Bible, the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple, which represented God's presence with His people. You know what was on the curtains? Y'all know, cherubim. So when Jesus comes and he pays that price and he dies, he yields up his spirit in verse 46. Notice that he gives it away. He does, it is not taken from him. And the curtain was torn in two and now there is access. There's access into the presence of God for all who will come through the veil that is in Jesus. We have a new veil There's a new doorway, and it's Christ himself. And for those who confess faith in him and follow him and trust him, there is new life before them. But in the same way, as the the curtain is torn, the kingdom of God is unleashed in this broken world. And the kingdom of God is growing today. Because God is at work. The Spirit is now here accompanying His Word in your heart. The Spirit is here now to build you up in the faith, to equip you to go back out into that world, to live a life and testify to the greatness of God. Even today, this morning, may it be in this place, but in other places around the world, God is calling people out of darkness into light, from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. He's doing that today. The kingdom of God continues. That as the veil was torn, the torrents of the kingdom of God were poured out through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are some takeaways? So pack it up here. Number one. You're condemned in your sin. There's only one way to be relieved of that burden. Is if Jesus becomes sin for you. If he takes your sin and you get his life. There's no other way. There's no other hope. You search out all the philosophies of men. You search out all of the other religions in the world. Nothing, nowhere offers this. Everywhere, elsewhere offers, you do better, you try harder, and it is a sentence of death. There's, no, there's only one. But if we are now justified, we're set right with God, and we're unleashed as kingdom agents in this world, what type of life should we live? And we should be those who are eager to invite other people into it. Eager to invite other people to new life in Jesus. Eager to display the love of Jesus in our lives. But eager to live out lives that are defined by the justice of God. Over and over again, the people of Israel are condemned. They're condemned because of their hard-heartedness to the poor and to the marginalized. And for us, our hard-heartedness toward the unborn. And to the marginalized and to the forgotten. To the oppressed of this world. It exists despite the CRT garbage. Don't let that swing you so far off the other edge. That you fall into the trap of thinking that we have no obligation to pursue justice in this world. But it must be biblical justice. 
Today, you are either under wrath or you're under grace. Your life is like that glass jar that fell from the top rope. It fell from the top shelf. Either, dear one, there will be no one to catch you on the day of judgment and your life will be shattered irreparably for all of eternity. Or there will be the Lord Jesus who is there to catch you, to rescue you, to save you, and to place you back in life in Him. So choose you this day. Choose life in Christ by grace. Or choose to leave here hard-hearted and under the condemnation of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are good. Oh, what a Savior we have. There's only one name given among men by which we may be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. With that message that you are the friend of sinners, that you welcome any who come to you, that whoever comes to you, you will not cast out. Our only prerequisite isn't our goodness, isn't our moral cleanness, isn't our ability to clean ourselves up. Our only prerequisite is to testify of our need. That we need your blood, Lord Jesus. We need what you have accomplished for us at the cross. Oh, I pray for some today that you would open up the way of paradise for them. That you would pull back the shades. As I heard this week, that you would pull back the shades. And they would behold Christ in faith. And that you would grant new life. Oh, Lord, do your work. We praise you for Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Jesus, you came that you might bring us to God. So, Lord, would we come and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.